When I think about women refusing to put themselves last, I think about how modern that idea even sounds. It doesn't seem like a concept that has really been widely accepted until fairly recently. And if women were like that before, then they were almost these like iconic figures of leading the way and trailblazing and they're, you know, incredible people throughout the generations have done that. But I think only recently has it been okay to even name that you're refusing to put yourself last. This is Women on the Rise, the show about the self-care choices women make to fuel their success in business and life. I'm your host, Laura Dolch. This season on the show, we're widening the lens to talk about resilience, reinvention, and what happens when women refuse to put themselves last. All of which is made possible, of course, when we know ourselves and practice our deeply personal and ever-evolving kind of self-care. And for the first episode of our new season, season eight, we're doing something a little bit different from our regular one-on-one conversations between me and a guest. You just heard a clip from Laura Sullivan, owner with her husband, Tim, of Seattle-based photography, education, and branding agency, Sullivan and Sullivan Studios, and a former guest of this show. Laura, along with five other former guests of the podcast, graciously agreed to send me audio dispatches from their homes during lockdown to answer my burning questions about reinvention, resilience, refusing to put themselves last, and staying well and sane during this pandemic. I'll also share a few of my thoughts on the same questions at the end from my closet recording studio in my Seattle apartment. But first, reinvention. Webster's Dictionary defines reinvent as to make as if for the first time something already invented, to remake or redo completely, or to bring into use again. I especially love that last one because it implies that a rediscovery rather than a complete and total change can also be a reinvention. I asked Laura Sullivan, Marissa Office, and Laura Banker to tell me about a time when you reinvented yourself in your work or in your personal life. Here's Laura. A time when I reinvented myself professionally was after I graduated in 2013 with my master's degree in social work. And after, I don't know, two months working at my job, I thought this is not for me. I had spent my entire adulthood thinking that I was going to go one direction. And then after investing so much money and time into my education that direction, and not to mention a decade of work, I realized this is not it anymore. This is not how I'm going to serve the world. So I quit the job, which was super scary. I think that obviously whenever you change directions career-wise, there's the financial fear that for me at least comes first. And so what gave me the courage and resilience to do this anyway was the fact that A, I had, first of all, I had an amazing partner who was cheering me on to try to do something that better served my life passion, but B, getting a day job while I figured out what the next iteration of my life was going to be was amazing. So I could kind of clear my space in my head for what had passed and grieve that a little bit and then free myself up to welcome what was ahead for me. I think there's always fear no matter what choice we make, but I think the worst fear is thinking, am I going to be stuck in this because I don't have the courage to leave? That's just the worst to me. Marissa Office is an attorney and educator in Beacon, New York. She shares a recent experience of what she calls redefinition. 
to answer your first question about personal reinvention, I struggled a lot with this question just because the notion of total reinvention seems a little bit foreign to me, mostly because I've changed lots of circumstances in my life over the years, but always basically felt like me. So um, I've never really felt totally reinvented. But in thinking about the question, I would say that the closest thing to reinvention was a couple months after you and I first spoke on your podcast. I had been living on my own in Brooklyn for about seven years and elsewhere in the city for the better part of 20 years in total. And in August of 2018, I moved in with my partner, John, in a little town in the Hudson Valley. I joined John and his two older daughters. And a few months later, John and I welcomed our daughter, Beatrice. So in the span of about three months, I had left the city. I had become a stepmom and I had become a mom and also cohabitated with another human being, which I hadn't done for quite a while. So That was less of a reinvention and more of a redefinition of who I was. For almost 20 years, I had defined myself as someone who lived in the city, someone who was independent and on her own, and certainly not somebody who was taking care of other human beings. And I had to see myself in a very different light. I think it was just that there was something that I wanted more than any notions that I had had about myself or any notions that I'd had about the external circumstances that defined me. And that was to start a family and to start a life with John. And so everything else sort of fell away. So I guess it's really identifying what is essential and what is not um, that gave me the courage and resilience to undergo quite a number of changes all at once. And here is marketing expert and adventurer Lara Banker on a career reinvention that went the opposite direction from what we sometimes hear. A time that I reinvented myself, the first thing that comes to mind is my transition that I made from being a fine art major in undergrad to choosing to go back and get my MBA. And it was, I mean, that's a pretty big swing, right? You're talking about a a very creative Um, kind of subjective field to something that's much more concrete and analytical. Uh, And it was difficult. It was scary because I had kind of built this reputation as a creative, as an artist. I was a painting and sculpture major and I kind of loved that identity, you know, up all hours of the night working on paintings or uh, sculptures or building things. And the economy crashed after I graduated undergrad and I decided to go back and get my MBA. And I actually started to realize that I'm a very left brain leaning person and I'm actually a lot better at a lot of those things having to do with uh, analytics and analysis and logic. And I fell in love with stats and economics and I loved my finance class and my accounting class. And it was a little bit shocking to me to see that revelation in myself, but it was really about my own personal narrative. And it wasn't this thing that the world had told me like, oh, you're a creative and you have to be a creative, but you kind of get stuck in this identity. And I had to really reform that narrative for myself and say, 
they're not mutually exclusive. I can be creative and I can love art and I can love beauty and I can also be analytical and understand math and be good at finance and accounting and understand the numbers and be a strong professional businesswoman. Those things can exist at the same time. And um, so I guess it wasn't so much a total reinvention, but rather of recognizing that identities are a bit more complex than the simplicity that I had put it in in undergrad and that I can be a more well-rounded, holistic person. And that's not giving up anything that I once was. It's, um, it's all going to work together to be the unique human that I am. The idea of women refusing to put themselves last bubbled up for me earlier this year as I was considering what the conversations on this podcast are really about. Because ultimately, practicing self-care is declaring to the world, my well-being is important. And while we all make compromises, and yes, sometimes end up last on the priority list, I believe that there's a limit to how many times we can do that before we hit a wall. Nigerian-American entrepreneur Karen Akonkwo shared a time in her career when she spoke up on behalf of not only herself, but all women of color. When I think about women not putting themselves last, I honestly immediately think about the Black woman's plight. I just think about what it means to be a Black woman in society where often all of the weight of the world is on your shoulders and the world perceives you as strong and the breadwinner and the matriarch and all of these really strong dominant things. When I was working in a traditional corporate setting and recognized that I was not only the only woman that was on the team, but I was the only woman of color amongst a predominantly white male middle-aged group. And I decided to call that out. I had HR in the room and I really questioned the motives of the company when it came to their diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives. When right here in front of us was an opportunity to see that there was just a lot of good old boys club happening. And I really am so grateful that I was able to bring that to light because the HR department took high note of that and definitely was able to create some employee resource groups to just help tackle that. So that was a time where I decided not to put myself last and really make my voice heard. Laura Sullivan shared that for her, refusing to put herself last sometimes means doing what's best for someone she loves. When I think about women refusing to put themselves last, I think about how modern that idea even sounds. It doesn't seem like a concept that has really been widely accepted until fairly recently. And if women were like that before, then they were almost these like iconic figures of leading the way and trailblazing and they're, you know, incredible people throughout the generations have done that. But I think only recently has it been okay to even name that you're refusing to put yourself last. Recently, I've been thinking a lot about myself versus my daughter as I step into motherhood and step into what my roles are as an employee of my own company. And also this brief time that I have with Misa is just so valuable to me. So oftentimes for me, when I feel like I'm doing things for myself, it means that I'm doing whatever my daughter needs because that's what serves my soul and serves 
what I feel most drawn to right now. Of course, I still love work and I still want to work, but often when I have a choice and I can actually choose between doing a new work project or spending time with my daughter, then I'm like, YOLO, I'm going to put myself first because what I personally want is to put her first. And so I think it's really interesting to talk about putting yourself first because it often means in our heads that we're being selfish or that we're being, I don't know, we have all these narratives about what putting ourselves first actually looks like, but oftentimes it just means doing what you want to do more (laughs) and having the choice to do that, I think is such a gift. And for Laura Banker, a choice not to put herself last led her to intentionally build a life she loves. In my own life, a way that I refused to put myself last was really taking ownership of where I wanted to live in the country and where I felt like I was the best version of myself. It's difficult to live away from family. It's hard to leave cities where you have really close friends. Uh, And I did both of those things. I chose to move away from the Midwest. I was living in Indianapolis at the time. All of my family was in Minneapolis. And I (laughs) took off in a van to explore the West to figure out where I wanted to land. And I ended up falling in love with Seattle. And it was like, once I got here, everything started to fall into place. And it just felt everything made sense to me. And I felt so at peace and everything felt like it had been waiting for me. And I felt complete and whole and happy. And I was doing the things that I love, which is being outside and exploring and being in the outdoors. And as painful as it is to be away from people I love in the Midwest, I actually feel like I'm a better friend and sister and daughter and just overall human because of choosing to live where I want to live, where I am the best version of myself and I feel the most complete and the most joyful. And when I am that way, I'm able to give back to my community and my friends and my family in a much more meaningful way than I would have otherwise. So it's sort of taught me that putting myself first or rather refusing to put myself last is really a way of loving my community more fully. Finally, I wanted to know what these women on the rise are doing to stay healthy, resilient, and sane during this extremely difficult time in our collective history. Food photographer, recipe developer, and travel blogger Soleil Roth is learning to slow down and listen to her body. I am so used to having a high-frequency, high-operating level on my day-to-day, whether that's having back-to-back schedule, trying to be productive every hour, go, go, going. And I think this COVID pandemic has really allowed me to settle and get back into tune with my body and how it feels and what rest looks like and actually rest. I am very much a stranger to rest, so... Staying healthy for me has looked like a lot of walks, not too many runs or too high intense of workouts, really just walking, journaling, reading, making sure I don't spend too much time on the screens and listening to my body and hunger levels and tiredness levels and getting in tune with that has been so great in the rest and the quiet Another way I've been staying healthy mentally is making sure I stay in connection with all my friends and family and conversation. I do live alone, so making sure I don't just retreat to a turtle and become a lonesome self 
is really important to continue those relationships and connections even though we all are separated. Another thing I'm trying to do is set some sort of schedule for the day even when the days look so different. For me that's meant keeping up with my morning routine and waking up at the same time every morning even if that means one day I sit on the couch all day or the next day I'm super productive. Just having the consistency of waking up at the same time every morning has been so great. For social justice facilitator turned entrepreneur Michaela Ayers, staying healthy means making time for exploration, both personal and professional. In terms of staying healthy, you know, I associate staying healthy with getting outside and being active, um, having some type of movement in my day. So in a typical day, what it looks like for me is getting up and first thing going on a walk. Um, which is great because I live in a really beautiful part of Capitol Hill and I feel really grateful for all of the beautiful trees and flowers and little bunnies that I've been seeing in my neighborhood. I also make sure that I'm taking some time to take a break from screens and be sure that I'm enjoying some analog hobbies like making art, um, listening to music, cooking food, um, all the things that I really loved already about staying indoors. In terms of staying resilient, resilient for me right now means first being grateful for the access that I still have to my work, being able to host trainings and events online, but also resilient in terms of doing research around what is working for small business owners right now. Where are the areas that I can lean in and experiment, get creative and make mistakes in ways that I probably wouldn't have prior to the pandemic? And Karen Aconquo, well, she's traveling the world from her stationary bike. There are many things that I'm doing to stay healthy here during the pandemic, and one of them was a choice to invest in an upright bike. And I'm lucky enough to be living in the East Lake neighborhood where the sun is always shining through my window. And I was able to position my upright bike right in front of my window. And I just feel like I'm always transporting to a new world. I love traveling. I've been to 16 different countries. So when I'm on that bike, I travel to Costa Rica, to Nigeria, to Tulum, Mexico. I've managed to actually lose 11 pounds here uh, since the beginning of the year. And I really owe that to not only my upright bike, but also the time that I've been spending in the kitchen. I have this fake series called Karen's Kitchen, and it's really just been a time to experiment with different recipes. I really love baking, especially cakes. And so being able to share my journey of experimenting with different recipes with the people that I follow and just hearing their positive feedback has been ways that I've been able to stay positive and sane during this crazy time. Thank you to Laura, Marissa, Karen, Lara, Michaela, and Soleil for taking the time to share your thoughts. I loved hearing from you. Make sure to check out my full interviews with Laura Sullivan, Marissa Office, Karen Aconquo, Laura Banker, Michaela Ayers, and Soleil Roth by searching for their name in your Women on the Rise podcast feed or on my website at lauradolch.com slash podcast. As for me, I've reinvented myself so many times that it would take another episode to share those stories. But I will say this, in my experience, the ability to reinvent or evolve, maybe, comes from a deep belief that you can figure stuff out, no matter what happens. And I'd be willing to bet that if you look back over your life, you'll find examples of how you just figured it out. Those are the stories to hang on to when you feel like you don't know which way is up. 
that and taking care of mind and body as best you can so that you have the strength and clarity to figure stuff out when life calls on you to reinvent again. So with that said, I'll remind you that I'd love to hear your thoughts on the same questions I asked Karen, Marissa, Soleil, Lara, Laura, and Michaela. Tell me what you're doing to stay strong, healthy, and resilient in isolation. Or about a time you reinvented yourself, what was hard and what was wonderful about it. Or what you think about women refusing to put themselves last and how it felt when you made a choice to do just that. Or tell me about all of the above. Record a voice memo and send it to me at hello at lauradolch.com. You may just hear yourself in a future episode. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'll see you back here in two weeks with a brand new conversation. Women on the Rise is produced by me, Lara Dolch, with editing help from the team at Lens Group Media. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit laradolch.com slash podcast. If you'd like to support the work we do on the podcast, leave a rating or review wherever you listen, subscribe to the show, and share episodes on social media or with your friends. It's all a huge help to the show, and I truly appreciate it. Hey, everyone. It's Lara again. I have one more important thing I want to share. Last week was a difficult week in the news. As a white woman, I struggle in the best of times with how to support the women of color in my personal and professional circles. And now with this country's racial injustices bubbling to the top once again, although let's not fool ourselves, they never went away in the first place. I spent a majority of my weekend reading, listening, and learning about racial injustice and about actions I can take to fight it. Here are a few resources I personally found helpful. As a place to start, check out my 2018 conversations on this podcast with Michaela Ayers, also featured in this episode, future for us is Sage Kiamno and Aparna Ray, Jennifer Brown, and Cheryl Ingram. All of these Women on the Rise run organizations focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and have so much wisdom to share about how to be a true ally to people of color. Follow writer, speaker, and activist Rachel Cargill on Instagram. She's at rachel.cargill. That's R-A-C-H-E-L dot C-A-R-G-L-E. And check out her social syllabus series at rachelcargill.com slash social dash syllabus for educational resources specifically geared towards white women. Watch News Not Noise founder Jessica Yellen's recent interview with sociologist Rashawn Ray about the history of police violence, how to be an ally, and what it means to be a racial equity broker. I found it incredibly helpful and well worth an hour of my time. You can find it on Jessica's IGTV channel on Instagram. She's at Jessica Yellen. The interview is called George Floyd, Race and Justice in America. To learn about the real history of racial injustice in this country, things you probably didn't learn in history class, I certainly didn't, I highly recommend the New York Times 1619 Project. Finally, for a list of racial justice organizations you can support, Google the Oprah Magazine article called Here's How You Can Help Demand Justice for George Floyd. There were some great links there. And finally, if you claim to believe in justice, equity, inclusion, human rights, 
do something, please, especially if you're white. I know it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me too, but we can no longer say we stand for justice without acting. We can't continue to rest in our white privilege. We have to learn our power and use it to create justice. Those resources will help you figure out how to take action. Thanks so much for taking the time to check them out. And to the Black women and other women of color listening, I want you to know that I see you and I'm doing my very best to stand beside you in this fight.